Hi there, welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Patrick. In the past several episodes, we spoke about some concepts related to the life, the liturgical life, actually, in the Catholic Church. What is the liturgy? What is grace? And what are the sacraments? However, before we enter into each of the sacraments, I'd like to share some thoughts with you about the sacramentals and relics in this episode. And in the next one, yes, we'll talk about shrines and other sacred places and things. And all these things are related indirectly to the sacraments and they are instruments of grace to some extent. Blessed Solanus Casey was born near Prescott, Wisconsin, in 1870. Around the age of 17, he started working at a brick kiln. And around that time, his mother gave him a scapular, one of the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, which he wore with devotion. Now, one day after work, he saw a man fall into a large pit full of water. So he jumped to save him, but the drowning man struggled and started to pull Solanus down, and they were both drowning. So Solanus held to a scapular that he had around his neck, and somehow he was pulled up to the surface and was saved. And blessed Solanus credits the scapular for, ser- for saving him from drowning. The brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel or other medals, like the one of St. Benedict, or the Miraculous Medal, are what we call sacramentals. Blessings and certain other prayers of consecration, holy water, blessed candles, crucifixes, and certain religious images are also sacramentals. So these sacramentals, of course, as the name shows, they are connected to the sacraments, And they are things or actions that have the power to sanctify or convey divine grace. They are somewhat similar in the reality to their sacraments because they can convey God's grace and they are also physical, visible things, material things. But they are at the same time different. First of all, the sacraments are only seven and they have been instituted directly by Jesus Christ. On the other hand, there are many sacramentals. And while they are generally originated in the action and the words of Jesus Christ, they are regulated or even created by the church, even when many of them have some divine inspiration at their origin. Another important difference is that the sacraments are effective by the very action that is performed. In theology, we use a Latin expression, which is ex opere operato. That is, the action of the sacrament transmits grace effectively, even if, if the minister is in sin, or even if the recipient of the sacrament isn't that holy or devout. On the other hand, the sacramentals depend greatly on the dispositions of the people involved. So in Latin we say, ex opere operandis. That is, the holiness of the minister and the fervent disposition of the recipient have a determining factor in the effectiveness of that particular sacramental. Now another element to have in mind 
is that the sacramentals are not magic amulets, right? They're not something to have with a sort of superstition. They are elements that inspire faith in us and that if used with faith and devotion together with a virtuous life, they can convey God's grace in a more or less effective way. That said, it is very important to use these sacramentals as they not only bring God's blessings on us, but they also dispel the influence of Satan. And this is why in the rites of exorcisms, the priest normally uses holy water or prayers and crucifixes and other images to help dispel evil and bring God's protection on a place or a person. In this sense, I would highly recommend that in your college environment, you have a reasonable and prudent use of sacramentals. For example, it would be a great idea to ask a priest to bless your living quarters or your dorm rooms and to bless your car or your bicycle. It would be a great idea to be enrolled in the bronze scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and to wear, for example, a miraculous medal. I would definitely encourage you to have a crucifix in your room for your devotion and perhaps some other image like a framed picture of Our Lady Guadalupe or St. Michael the Archangel or St. Joseph. You know, one or two of these you shouldn't have a ton of statues or images in your room because then it would be a little weird, but just one or two is great and definitely prudent and holy. Now, these sacramentals will be a great way to help you keep your faith strong and grow in virtue during your college years. Now, another reality that is closely related to sacramentals are the relics of the saints. These are also very powerful elements that bring us into contact with the holiness of Jesus Christ, of the Virgin Mary, and of the saints. There are very many miraculous cures in the history of the Church that are impossible to explain scientifically, and that doctors have struggled with, and many times had to admit, admit that they were physically impossible, these cures. And those cures are too many to count, also. But here is one such cure that happened in 2013 in the U.S. And I will put the links below in the show notes. In the morning of August 9th, 2013, a nine-year-old boy called Charles Kennedy had a life-threatening illness. He had a stroke first. That stroke had been caused by a blood vessel that burst in his brain. So he was rushed to the Carolinas Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he was in a coma. The doctors tried to solve the problem before the brain damage became too permanent. His mother, Margaret, reached out to the local pastor at St. Patrick's Cathedral, Father Christopher Rue. He first anointed the boy, and on a second visit he brought a reliquary containing the relics of St. Jacinta and Francisco, two of the shepherds who had received in 1917 the messages and the visions of Our Lady of Fatima in Portugal. First, the relics were placed on his hand. Later, when the pressure in his brain caused by the stroke increased dangerously, they placed the relics on his head. And then, soon after, the situation in his brain became better, but then Charles, the, this kid, developed pneumonia which is a serious infection in the lungs that can be deadly. At that point, they placed the relics of the saints on Charles' chest. 
Some hours later, when they checked again on the state of the pneumonia, they noticed, the doctors noticed, that the infection was completely gone. And then Charles' condition began to improve clearly and dramatically. They still had to do surgery in his head, and there was some damage in the brain. He has still some paralysis on his left leg because of the stroke, and he can't play all the sports he used to play. But he can serve mass, he can play the violin and the cello. And in this sense, another sort of miracle is that, according to what his mother recalls, a neurologist, says the mother, told me the week of his stroke that the part of Charles' brain where the hemorrhage occurred is the musical part of the brain. And therefore, we had to prepare or get prepared for his musical abilities to be affected. But his music teacher has been astounded at his ability to play many different instruments so well. So, up to there, the witness of the mother on a second sort of miracle that happened, right? Anyway, so this is one case of a cure, at least partial cure, through the intercessions of the saints by using their relics as a connection with those saints. So, what are relics and how can we use them? Saints are regular people who lived very holy lives, who were intimately united to God, and therefore became very effective instruments of God's action in the world. By God's grace, many of them were able to perform many miracles even during their lifetime. In the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 40, we read how by the prayers and words of St. Peter, Tabitha, a disciple who had recently died, became, uh, came back to life, to the amazement of all the present. Besides, also by the grace of God, many miracles have been performed by the intercession of the saints after their death, in connection with their tombs, their dead bodies, or items of clothing which they had used during their lifetime, in such a way that it has become an action approved, or a tradition, a usage approved by the church, from the very first centuries, to pray near the tombs of the saints, or to use part of their bodies, like their bones, their hair, for example, to ask for cures or some other special graces or miracles. Now, I understand that you or some of your friends might feel that this is a little bit weird, or even gross, right, to pray with a bone of a saint. But that is until you realize firsthand that thanks to applying, for example, the femur of a, part of a particular saint, a person with cancer becomes completely cured. Then you say, well, I wouldn't mind pray before the skull of St. Peter or before the incorrupt heart of St. Alfonso Rodriguez, who was a missionary in South, South America, in order to ask for a very special grace, like successful, successfully taking an exam that seems impossible to me, or praying to be accepted in a particular university, or obtaining a scholarship that would otherwise be very difficult for you. So that's what relics are. They are instruments of the grace of God that connect us to a particular saint, and therefore the saint will obtain graces from God because we use that particular relic. So these are, there are different classifications, but a popular classification is to say that there are three levels of relics. First class, first class relics are those that are parts of a body of a saint. Second class relics are those items, for example, clothing, that the saint used frequently. 
And finally, third-class relics are items that were attached to the body or clothing of a saint. Of course, the intercessory power exerted by the saint is greater through the first-class relics than through the third-class relics. Now, because relics became such a powerful means of obtaining graces from God, many people have taken advantage of that and have started to produce counterfeit relics. And because of this, unfortunately, we should only consider true relics those that are accompanied by an authentic document signed by a bishop stating the legitimacy of that relics. All other relics are of doubtful origin. They could or could not be true. This is why the church does not allow the selling of relics, and this is why I would not recommend you to purchase relics off of eBay or so forth. Finally, it is good to know that what kind of reverence you should give to these relics. Of course, we should not adore them because they are not God. We should not treat them with a superstitious attitude, nor consider that they will necessarily produce the effect we are requesting. In that sense, they are no more than a more efficacious way of praying to God through the intercession of a saint. So we venerate in them the holiness of that particular saint, We ask for the saint's intercession. We even can kiss them or touch them. We can kneel devoutly before them, but not genuflect before them, because that is a sign of adoration and we do not adore the relics of the saints. Sometimes there are true, authentic, first-class relics that are taken from one city to another for for the veneration of the faithful. So if you ever get the chance to be at one of these events where they bring the relic of a saint and they display the, display the relics for the veneration of the faithful, I would highly recommend that you take advantage of that possibility and pray devoutly for your eternal salvation and for your sanctification and for any other intentions that you may have. As far as Jesus Christ, there are obviously no first-class relics of his physical, physical mortal body because he is risen in heaven. So we do not have parts of the body of Christ in this world. We do have the Blessed Sacrament and the Tabernacle, which you should visit and adore, but that wouldn't uh, properly be considered a relic of Christ. It is Christ himself under the appearance of bread and wine. However, there are some very important second-class relics of Christ. Specifically, there are those sections of the cross of Christ or, or thorns of the crown of thorns, e- even the crown of thorns itself in, in France. There are some nails used for his crucifixion, the shroud in which he was buried, which is kept in Turin, Italy, and even the chalice in which he celebrated the first mass at the Last Supper, which is kept at the cathedral in Valencia in Spain. These must definitely be venerated and can even be adored with a relative adoration because they were in touch with Jesus Christ himself, who is God. Anyway, there is much more to say about relics and sacramentals, but that is the gist of it. So you can read more about all this in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Numbers 1667 through 1679. And in the episode notes of this uh, episode podcast episode, 
I will put some links to more articles for you to read if you want to go a bit more in depth. I think, anyway, that all this is a good reminder of all the amazing treasures that we have in the Catholic Church, treasures that help you grow closer to God, and they help you be defended from evil in your journey through this life. So thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Please remember to leave a review in Apple Podcasts and make sure you rate this podcast show both in Apple and in Spotify. And if you have any questions or comments on this or any other episode, shoot me an email at info at fourcollegecatholics.org. I would love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. May God bless you. And we will see you next time.